Welcome to those who are joining us in the Fellowship Hall and online. It's good to be able to study the Word of God all together. Through this series about being restored by the good and beautiful God, we've been studying different biblical aspects to God's character, that God is love, that God is generous, that God is holy. And today we're looking at what it means that our God is self-sacrificial. And in some ways, you might think if we already know that God is love and God is generous, do we really need to make the case that the kind of love at the core of God's being is self-sacrificial love? Does that distinction matter? Well, I think it does. Because it hits a very different place in our hearts. It tells us that God loves us not just when it makes him happy to love us, but he loves us even when it hurts God's love for you cost him something, and it's a price that he chose to pay. Through the Alpha Course, all about the basics of Christian faith, Pastor Nikki Gumbel uses an illustration I'd like to use to start today. I want you to imagine for a moment a very tragic scene. Imagine that you're walking down the street with a friend, and suddenly, for no reason that you can see, your friend shoves you and then stumbles into the road and is hit by a bus and killed. You'd think that what you'd seen was terrible, a tragic, senseless, meaningless death, that your friend wasn't paying attention or was fooling around when he shouldn't be. And it would probably traumatize you, make you terribly sad. But what if, in the same scenario, you noticed at the last second that bus had been heading right for you, and when your friend shoved you, you were thrown clear, but the force of that shove had thrown your friend instead into the path of the bus. Your friend was killed, saving you. Even though that death was just as terrible, it wouldn't be a meaningless death. It would have a very personal meaning. That death wouldn't be a senseless tragedy, but a profound act of love. Love for you. The way that you'd think about it and that friend would be really different, wouldn't it? You don't have to look very far to find someone who thinks Jesus' death on the cross was terrible. And it was. No one should ever have to die that way. It's a cruel and inhuman method of torture that was eventually even banned by the Romans as something that was beneath their dignity to inflict even on their worst enemies. And these are the same people who would later throw Christians to lions. But if you're a Christian, you know that as terrible as Jesus' death on the cross was, you really can't call it tragic. Because although he was innocent, Jesus was not a victim. Through the terrible event of the cross, Jesus' obedience accomplished a profound and life-changing purpose. And as we walk through this journey of Lent, the cross of Jesus stands before us not as a remembrance of a tragedy, but as a profoundly meaningful act of love, a personal act of love for you and for me. And that's what makes this season of the year so incredibly powerful. You see, unlike the bus scenario, the circumstances that led to the cross started long before that week in Jerusalem, long before the Roman guards or even Pontius Pilate had been born. That bus had started hurtling toward you and me from the very first moment human beings chose sin over a relationship with God. But before that vehicle of death could bear down on you, Jesus stepped in to be our Savior at highest personal cost. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
Jesus is saying that self-sacrifice is the highest form of love. And it is, isn't it? Because saving the self is the most basic instinct we have. It takes a whole lot to override it. That only happens through love. And that's the kind of passionate love that God has for you. And it's incredibly important in our lives of faith that we understand this. That God's love for you isn't just lukewarm. (laughs) It's powerful. It's world-changing. It's even God-changing. Now that idea would be completely foreign to the ancient world because the words self-sacrificial and God just didn't go together. Divine beings were thought to help people only if it was convenient for them and only those who would actually benefit them the most. And all the religions of the world are about ways for people to work their way to God. But this narrative that Jesus introduces is completely opposite of that. In Jesus Christ, we see what people couldn't even imagine. A God who loves people, who loves people so much that instead of demanding sacrifices from them to get his favor, sacrifices that could never make things right between us and a holy God anyway, God chose to be the one who made the sacrifice for us. He chose to be the way of our salvation because only he could. After we fell into sin, God could have chosen to simply scrap this whole human project and walk away, but instead he chose to walk into our brokenness and be broken for us so he could bring us into a place where we could be made whole in eternal relationship with him. And I mean broken for us. And you might be thinking, well, how could that be? Can God actually sacrifice anything? I mean, he's all-powerful. Whatever he gives, wouldn't he get it back anyway? What can God sacrifice, really? Well, God is all-powerful. And the truth is, he wouldn't need to risk anything. He could make anything, including us, the way that he wants us to be right now. But what God, who is love, wants most is to be in relationship with us. What he wants is not to manipulate us, but to invite us as free beings into life with him and for us to freely respond to him in love. If you love someone, set them free, right? In sending Jesus, God chose to lay down his rights, to give up the control he could have simply enforced in order to offer us instead a free invitation to join him in his life. But in order to do that, he first himself had to remove the barrier of sin and death that we had placed between us. So what did God sacrifice? What did he risk? What did he give up for you? Well, first of all, we have to realize that what happened in Jesus forever changed God. See, God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God's very being is relational. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but there it is. And in Genesis, we see that God is the source of life. So if God is the source of life, where life comes from, it makes sense that death is a severing of the connection with the source of life, right? Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, that death is what comes of sin, our turning away from God. The consequence of the human choice to separate from God that created this rift that we can't repair. But God loved us too much to let death separate us forever. Jesus, the Son of God, came 
through the cross to take on the sins of human beings, to submit to the death that our sins have earned that separate us from God. And having no sins of his own to atone for, only Jesus, only the Son could do that for us. In dying for our sin, Jesus brought our sin to hell, to death, the ultimate separation from God, and he left them there. So we don't have to bring them there ourselves. So do you realize what that means? That in order to make a place for us in God's eternal life, God himself had to experience death. When Jesus died, God's own self, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was torn apart. Death was allowed to separate the Father and the Holy Spirit from the Son. God's own being was torn in two. In Jesus' death, the source of life came to know by experience what it means to be separated from himself. God sacrificed that for you. God himself took the pain of the separation of death into his own being to make a way for you to be welcomed into his life. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You see, God's love for you doesn't just change you. It changed God. God's love is self-sacrificial. That's the first sacrifice. And the second one was like it. That in Jesus, God chose to truly walk in our shoes, to experience firsthand how hard it is for us to trust God with a future we can't see. Philippians 2 says this, that this is the humility of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Jesus came to this world and lived as a human being, he emptied himself of all of his rights as God's son and lived dependent, as we do, on every word that comes from God his Father. And since he was without sin, he was able to listen and respond and use the power that God gave him unlike anyone else. But he lived human. He had all the tools that we have. And many years before Jesus came, God had shown the very human, King David, a glimpse of that plan of salvation. That David had written these words in Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David had no theory of atonement around that. He had no information about how God would actually accomplish that. He simply trusted this vision that God loved us so much he wouldn't let sin and death be a barrier between us. But before that Savior would come, David himself would first have to die. David, the human being, the man after God's own heart, died trusting God for that promise that he could not see. As you will, as I will, 
God was faithful to that promise. He sent Jesus to do that saving. But in order to save us, Jesus, as the fully human Savior, also first had to die trusting. Really dead. Dead men can't raise themselves. And Jesus on the cross would pray to his Father, into your hands I commit my spirit with complete and total surrender. See, Jesus, as our Savior, had to completely put all of his trust in the promise of God, you will not abandon your beloved one to the grave. Jesus walked in our shoes exactly, but with perfect faith. In Jesus, God chose to experience the cost of real surrender, to experience how hard it is for us to fully trust him for a future we can't see or control. Have you ever felt it was hard to trust God with your future? Have you ever struggled to trust God with life for you after death? Jesus has been there. God loves you so much that he has been even there in that moment for you. So that you can know even in that moment, you are not alone. That's what self-sacrificial love looks like. Jesus said in John 12, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, the world measures greatness by what we hold on to for ourselves, but Jesus' life poured out for us is the mark of his greatness. That rather than hold on to his life for his own sake, he surrendered it for our sake. Because you are the harvest of his sacrifice. And finally, in Jesus, God also took the risk that he would do all of this, that he would suffer all of this for us, and we would still reject him. God risked unrequited love. See, free creatures can reject love. And love is to be open to pain. And so by offering us freedom, God risks God's sacrifices. John 1 says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. For you, God himself entered into the risk of unrequited love, into the pain of surrender, and even into death itself. Is there any more powerful way that we could know that God's love for us is real? What more could he give? Isn't it a strange thing that it's by the voice of a crucified man dying in pain that billions of hearts have seen that God is love? That the cross, the symbol of torture and injustice, could give such deep peace? But how else could God prove his love to people with real grief? How else could we trust God's power to save than to know that he knows the depth of our brokenness and that he cares enough to meet us when we are at our most broken, at ground zero, when we are utterly broken, to carry us on. See, the cross of Jesus brings real hope because it's not the end of the story. If the point was just that life is suffering and not even God can escape suffering, that's not hope, that's just depressing. 
But the hope of the cross of Jesus is that Jesus brings the last chapter of that old story of death and the first one of a new story of life that God is writing. Jesus' cross brings hope because you can see the resurrection from there. The cross brings hope because beyond being a symbol of the cruelty of the world, the cross is also a symbol that suffering will be overcome by life. Jesus did not come to suffer. The suffering was not the point. He came to save. And no matter what your cross is today, it is not the end. It's only one obstacle that can and will be overcome by the one whose story continues with an empty tomb. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now I might realize that might seem like just a bunch of words or theory. So I'd like to share a story of a, that I have shared before of a moment when that power of that truth really hit me and impacted me in my life. Several years ago, I had a good friend who lost her dad to a sudden illness. And as an only child, she was really close to her dad and she was just devastated. And I went to the visitation the night before the funeral and gave her a hug and her grief was just so overwhelming. I was struck with this deep level loneliness as she cried on my shoulder. She told me that her dad had been away from home, out on a trip when he had died, that he had died far from home, far away from her. And that seemed to make it even harder, more lonely somehow. And after talking to her, I went in to say my goodbyes. They were a Catholic family, and so as I stood looking at the casket, my eyes were immediately drawn to a crucifix that had been placed above her father's head. And in that moment, I was hit by a powerful truth. The man in the casket in front of me was dead. And the man depicted on the cross above him was dead. Jesus has been dead. Just as dead as that man in front of me, but Jesus' story didn't end there. And because of Jesus, this man's story wouldn't either. Because God so loved this man, so loved you and me, even when we're looking face to face at death, what we see is a place where our Savior has been, is, and will be present to lead us on to life. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Through the valley of the shadow of death to life on the other side, he will be there. He has been there every step of the way because he chose to walk that self-sacrificial path alone first for you and for me. And because he did, you will never have to walk it alone. That's God's self-sacrificial love. So how do we respond to that? What does it look like to follow a God of self-sacrificial love? What does it mean when Jesus says, those who try to keep their lives will lose them and those who lose them will find them? I think we already know. And a life that is turned in on the self just becomes smaller and smaller. But a life that's turned toward God, toward each other, a life of self-sacrifice, grows bigger. Love grows when you give it away. Living lives of sacrificial love brings all kinds of benefits, but they're not usually the ones that the world measures. They're ones we don't understand until we try to live our lives like Jesus does. Philippians 2 shows us that. 
The soul training exercise for this week is to meditate on these words from Philippians 2 about how Jesus emptied himself of all but love for us. And that passage also asks us to imagine what the world would look like if we all loved one another like Jesus loves. So this week, I'd like to invite you to let those words sink into your spirit. And then part two is a response to that through a traditional Lenten practice. You might have heard people talk about giving up something for Lent before, and that's just a way of practicing the heart of self-sacrificial love of Jesus, but for a purpose. Often when people choose to give something up, they decide to, what they decide to give up is something that stands in the way between themselves and their Lord, something that distracts them or they realize has become more important to them than it should be. Maybe it's a limit on TV time or screen time to give up a distraction for the sake of prayer and connection. Or maybe it's giving up a favorite treat and giving money instead toward another cause, feeding those who otherwise would go without. Maybe it's sacrificing some sleep-in time in order to start your day with Bible reading to allow God to speak to you in that. The point of God's self-sacrificial love was not to suffer. It was to connect to connect you to himself. And when we realize that our God is a God of self-sacrifice for us, that leads us to real connection. It leads us to mimic that kind of love for others as well. So may this week, may you open your eyes to see how profound it is to receive that kind of love and begin to imagine what this world could be if our love was formed by his. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you love us so profoundly that you would open your very life, Lord, to receive us into your eternity. Lord, we we know that we can never even imagine the depth of your love for us, but we ask in this Lenten journey in these 40 days, Lord, that you would draw our hearts closer to begin to imagine, to begin to see how powerful is your love for us. And that you would teach us, Lord, what it looks like to live in response to that love. To live as student learners, as apprentices of your love and your grace. Lord, we pray that as you pour out that love into our hearts, that we would also pour out that love to one another in this world. And tell all the world know who you are in your self-sacrificial love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.